Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, a podcast made possible by Skylife Success, a SkyPass group company. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings again, dear ones. Uh, A rare occurrence for me in the recent past to be able to come right back to you the very next day. The topic we discussed yesterday was mentoring values and influence. We did the first part where we talked about instructing them on principles they could not learn on their own, introducing them to pioneers they could not meet on their own, and including them in practices they would not employ on their own. We'll conclude uh, today with the remaining four components and uh, try to add another dimension to it. And then after this, I'm actually going to go and record all seven principles as I did in the form of a talk on my YouTube channel. Uh, It'll have the same title, but if you want the visual for it and continuity in terms of teaching, maybe you can uh, use that one as well. Continue to share this information. Thanks for the feedback that we received on the episode that was just posted yesterday. So the third uh, component was including them to believe they belong, etc. And I shared those components of Mr. Ziegler. Now I want to take you to involving them in activities they would not enjoy on their own. To this, I've historically always turned to a gentleman by the name of Bob Townsend, Robert Townsend, who wrote the book Up the Down Organization, uh, noted notoriously for transforming Avis into the powerhouse rent-a-car company it is today. And part of it was in a rudimentary way, and I may have arrived at these three questions uh, just because of convenience to me, but part of Townsend's own uh, narrative was any group he led, any type of people he was trying to impact, anything he wanted people to do in order to change, he began by simply asking them three questions. The first question was, what do you do? The second was, what would you like to do? And the third was, how will you know the difference? To which I added my own spin saying, what do you do is role identity. Normally when I ask people, what do you do? They give me this litany of things they do that they're so busy and they cannot have time to take breath and they don't know whether they're coming or going. And I usually tell them, I said, you know, those days are gone when busyness means accomplishment or activity signifies accomplishment. Just acting busy doesn't mean anything. It's like, you know, my go-to guy in the realm was always George Costanza of Seinfeld. When they said, how do you stay employed? You do nothing. He says, I just look angry. And that convinces them that I'm busy because I'm mad because of the amount of work. So uh, what do you do? Role identity. A very good question that mentors need to ask other people they're influencing. What do you do? They should be able to articulate in a couple of sentences or less. So, for example, if you were to ask me, what do you do? I said, well, I have three distinct identities uh, that reveal uh, my corporate goals, my personal goals, and my evangelistic goals. All I do is share the basic information of what you do, and that should always get you the opportunity to move from the elevator pitch of 11 to 14 seconds to earn the right to now spill your beans for another two minutes. Now, a mentor taught me that. He says, when you give away information, make sure that the information you give when someone asks you what you do is you're selling the sizzle, not the steak. You're selling curiosity. You're selling intrigue. 
So, or I may say, you know, when they ask me, what do you do? I said, I'm really fortunate. For half of my year, I work with the people who are able to afford yachts. And the other half of the year, I go and serve the people who cannot even get on a boat. Or some such like that, which means, you know, you're trying to paint a picture. But what do you do? You have to be able to articulate that. And I love the question because it describes role identity. The second is, what would you like to do? This is role destiny. Everybody has to have dreams. Henry David Thoreau often said that everybody wants to build castles in the air. Nobody wants to build a foundation on the ground. But the reverse is also true. Just having a foundation without ambition for a blueprint that allows you to define and expand is also meaningless. So you just can't be the kind of person who goes to the gun range and says, you know, ready, aim, 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 aim. At some point, you have to pull the trigger and hit the target. So the concept of role destiny is very, very vital because when you ask people the question you're mentoring or you're trying to develop as leaders, what would you like to do? They have to paint a vision and your ability to clarify whether that's pie in the sky or not is because you know what they do and you also know their capabilities and their qualities. So when Mr. Ziegler would say, what would you like to do? And I would say, I would like to write. And he says, what have you written? I said, well, the time is uh, you know, still in the future for that. He says, no, why don't you go to a writing seminar? He was imparting in me the idea that if you want to do something in the future, you have to bring into the present. So some of what you do needs to be some of what you want to do, or it needs to be a preliminary to what you want to do. But the third will make the difference for you if you didn't understand what the semblance was for the first two. What do you do? Role identity. What would you like to do? Role destiny. How will you know the difference? Role benchmark. This is vital. Many people want to do great things. They want to write the great American novel. They want to split the atom. They want to go to outer space and they have this and it's called a bucket list for a reason. And bucket list can have all of the charm that a bucket list offers, but there's a reality on the ground floor. How will you know when you get there? No, I have a friend who had a bucket list and his bucket list was Uh, had the benchmark built into it. And it basically says, what would you like to do? He says, I'd like to travel to every continent. I'd like to visit the Great Wall of China. I'd like to go to the Holy uh, Land of Israel. I'd like to go to the, you know, Machu Picchu. I'd like to snorkel the Outer Barrier, the Great Barrier Reef, or go see Australia, whatever it is. He had all the bucket list. But the how will you know when you get there was the benchmark. He says, this I will able to accomplish if I build this company successfully, get to sell the company for the amount of money that is more than I know I want or deserve, give my family everything, allocate a little bit of that to fulfill my bucket list. And he went off and did that. For two years, he traveled all over the world and accomplished his goals. What do you do? What would you like to do? How will you know when you get there? So when you mentor people, involve them in activities they would not enjoy on their own. All three of these questions require thought. All three of these questions require addressing the value component that is deep within the individual. And it takes away that pie in the sky, I deserve it, or I hope to get it, or one day in the great by and by. The next component, or the next three are invite them to places they would not travel on their own. Invite them to places they would not travel on their own. What does this mean? 
Um, I've encouraged people to write books. I've encouraged people to ask me to contribute to that. I've told people that if you want to partner with other people and you don't know how, maybe reach out to them, ask them to write a foreword to your book, ask them to give a quote for your book, ask them to give a review for your book, but whatever it is, you invite people to places they could not go on their own. Uh, I remember uh, very early in my career, I got a note from Mr. Ziegler's office saying that, hey, you know what, the following story about you is going to be included in the book Over the Top, or at least his desires to be included in the book Over the Top. But the way it came at me was it was actually a release from the publisher saying, are you okay with the story as it is written to be published in the book? I was more than honored, but it was very interesting that suddenly I felt myself elevated that someone was writing my story. Now, John Maxwell puts this differently when he says, when you tell someone a story, it shows them you care. When you tell them a story that matters to them, it shows them you care about them. But when you tell their story to others, now you have liberated them to be a living, breathing part of that entity. So involve them, and then finally, invite them to places they would not go on their own. When I look back at my own journey and I think to myself that when I land in South Africa on Tuesday or Wednesday, good Lord willing, uh, that will be my 76th country. In terms of cities, I've probably been to more than 200 international locales. Uh, I've spoken to countless audiences all over the place. Uh, when I look at this journey of six continents and 75 countries and 47 states in the Union, it began because one man one day looked at me and said, will you give me permission to challenge your assumptions? And then he invited me to places I could not go on their own. The concept of book writing, the concept of being involved or included in a book. I'll never forget another story. We were coming back from Tampa, Florida. Mr. Ziegler had spoken, I think, to the Chamber of Commerce there, and we were traveling through Dallas, which means we were going to another city, and we had to collect our luggage and then move through the city to go to the next town or to go to the to another uh, location or whatever it was. But anyhow, I had a bunch of seminar equipment with me, and we were in the airport, and we were near close to one of those moving sidewalks. And uh, he suddenly saw me as a result of uh, holding onto that cart. I was going to walk next to the cart, uh, next, to the, uh, next to the moving sidewalk. And Mr. Ziegler said, oh, Krish, on Saturdays, the rules of not using trolleys on the belt are kind of taken apart, so you can come on the belt. He was looking at it in terms of convenience and expedience for me. But halfway through that first section, and for those of you who've been in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, you know between Terminal A and Terminal C, you have three such belts, which means they stop at a point and then they pick up again. And so when we came to the break at the first one, he saw my knuckles turning white and he kind of realized between my allegiance to him as my leader and my mentor and my influencer and my allegiance to the rules and regulations and fear that I was violating rules by taking a trolley on a moving uh, escalator or a moving sidewalk, uh, he gave me permission. He gave me a reprieve. He says, okay, Krish, if you feel better walking on the ground next to me, by all means do so. And I took that. I needed his permission because I didn't want to break the rule, but I didn't want to violate the sovereignty of my relationship with him. 
I was surprised when a little while later I got an article uh, that had come to my desk. Uh, Mr. Ziegler was writing newspaper articles at that time. And then uh, he basically uh, wrote an article about me, published in the newspaper, and then released in one of his book series, Something to Smile About and Something Else to Smile About. And the title of the article was uh, Hooray for Chris Shamon Zig. Here was my mentor, the man who was influencing me in every walk of my life, used that particular illustration on that Saturday when it was just a brief encounter of me moving off that moving escalator onto the side, saying that, you know what, his allegiance to me as a leader, I suddenly realized, was caught between his allegiance to the law. And I had to, and it was very interesting how he explained that. But when I read that and other people read that, they thought to myself, they thought to themselves, oh, wow, that's really great. But some of my folks in India and my friends in India called and said, hey, your name is actually in the title of a chapter in Mr. Ziegler's book. So that's what I mean by that concept of invite them to places they would not go on their own. Next, impart hope. This is future skill attitude. This is trying to be something that you have never imagined yourself to be. When I spoke to the educators, I'd given them the story of Jaime Escalante in the barrio in Los Angeles, and I won't go through the elaboration of that story here, but it was basically about the movie Stand and Deliver that had Edward James almost in it, and it talked about the barrio in Los Angeles and how a man tutored a group of kids who were never going to amount to very much in their present circumstances, but through sheer will, determination, motivation, and love, he painted a picture of a future for them. And as a result of that, many of them passed that advanced placement calculus class. And then because someone figured out they were cheating when they took the test again, I think they succeeded in the same numbers. But impart hope this is a very vital part of mentoring. Paint a picture of a future they cannot see. Show them horizons they cannot conjure up. Give them destinations they cannot think of going to. But always do it in a way that not if they get there. When they get there, they're going to be thankful for the seeds that they were sown here and the roots that were planted here. And lastly, instill the, in them a desire. Um, I, I gave the illustration of my English teacher and all of the things that went with that. And But here was a very interesting part in the conversation because part of my evidence presentation is anthropology. I always try to give you data based on history. And so in the Q&A session, some of the people were challenged by the status quo. While the presentation was purely mentoring and mentor relationships, I added the component of where we are as a society, the cultural collapse, the moral decay, the very foundations of civilization, of honesty and decency uh, are eroding. And the last bastion, which would be the 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 wall that would probably stand would be the academy. It's ironic, I pointed out to them, that the very origination of thought and process began in Hellenistic lifestyles when Alexander the Great, by the age of 26, uh, had conquered most of the known world. And when he was asked as a student of Aristotle, he was basically saying, our Greek philosophy, our Greek way of life was so sophisticated. The Hellenistic way of living was so sophisticated. My conquering was not about the wealth we would amass or the cultures or the borders we would uh, we would conquer, but it was about taking this philosophy of a civilized way of thinking. 
So that's where we were. When we go back to ancient Greece as the cradle of uh, thought, of philosophy, of, uh, you know, the old Platonic philosophers and all that, everything began with the academy. Rhetoric began there, arguments began there, debates began there. And now we look at it, the academy seems to be the last place where anybody wants to go for intellect. The academy seems to be the last place where anybody wants to go to reason ideas of rationale that would elevate their thought process. And when I made this claim, some of them actually looked at me and realized that I was actually right because now the academy has become almost a haven, a haven of safety for just about everything else. And it's almost contraindicative that there is a lot of indoctrination that takes place when you challenge the basic tenets of existence. So this was the why I, I wanted to bring this. And I think when I do the YouTube clip, I will start with the illustration I gave in the Q&A session and then run through these principles so that we can have a cohesive 40-minute vision there. But I would encourage you to also check out my YouTube channel as a result of this. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed these two parts of mentoring uh, people, uh, values and influence, part one and part two. And uh, real quick to summarize, I mean to... Uh, to summate, because I'm a trainer, here are the seven principles. Instruct them on principles they cannot learn on their own. Introduce them to pioneers they could not meet on their own. Include them in practices they would not employ on their own. Involve them in activities they would not enjoy on their own. Invite them to places they would not travel on their own. Impart to them hope that they would not desire on their own. And finally, instill in them dreams they would not dare on their own. Hopefully this has impacted you. Write us a note. Drop us an email at info at skylifesuccess.com. Thank you for continuing to grow it. Good luck. God bless. And that concludes another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose with Krish Dunham brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at krishdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.